Yeah, and, and I was thinking along the lines of like, your wallet really needs to just have a certain proportion of tokens. It's not necessarily about how many of them you have. Like, I have a million retard token. That way I'm, that way I'm stronger than you are. No, it'd be more like I have, you know, 10% of my wallet is retard tokens and 10% of it. Is, so it's like, it doesn't matter how poor or rich you are in that particular thing or how long you've spent, you know, playing with the faucet or whatever to get free tokens. You can... Um, you can convert to these things over time and like get to the proportion you want. And the only thing that like prevents you from maybe the perfect proportion would be time, not so much money. Right. Cause like maybe certain faucets are only open at certain days. Right. Or maybe, you know, that kind of thing. So you would have to actually participate on a routine basis to get to the, to the proportion you want but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the actual total number of coins in your wallet at that moment. That can be interesting, right? Or maybe, you know, like if you were to get some from the faucet, are these actually transferable tokens? Like what tokens are soul bound and only on, um, can be in your wallet or what, which of them are stuff that's tradable for some reason? Um, the problem with tradable is that people have a, like, they'll tend to sibil the system. Like they'll build like five wallets and you know, that way they can build any number of things that they feel like it. Whereas if you make it not tradable, that has other consequences um, in terms of how the game is played and how versatile it is, right? So, or maybe there's some tokens that are tradable and some that are not, uh, that kind of thing. Does that make sense? Like, You know what I was thinking, Sefi, was uh, a lot of times, you know, people equate, let's say knowledge or intelligence uh as some kind of you know tangible asset value having value but it's it's interesting you bring up this point about like things that are soul bound and non-transferable you know it's it's like well if in that transfer of knowledge it's not like you lose the knowledge right it's not like you lose uh something by kind of uh sharing something else in fact you might like you'll retain it and then like maybe in exchange for some other piece of knowledge gain it gain some more knowledge you know what i'm saying yeah, i'm not sure if you follow what, what i'm getting at here but like in games and things um like in video games like mmos or whatever there are certain items that you get that are bound to your character and certain things that are tradable um and say for example you got together with a group of people and you spent four years you know building up a team and the right proportions and assets the number of people whatever it is number of actions on chain whatever it is that you're measuring and you went to slay the dragon that only appears every four years like the bitcoin happening um do you for doing so do you get a reward for that that is fungible or non-fungible Right? Is it a is it something you can trade with your friends? Like the super sword that you just got for this four year adventure? Let's just call it a sword, just for metaphorical purposes. Is that something you can trade with your friends, and therefore it reduces the meaning of it, or is it soul bound to your wallet and therefore has special properties that now your wallet can do shit that nobody else's wallet can? Um, and you, it's a mixture of those two things. Like you, you may have certain things that are tradable. Um, because you want the network effect of trade, right? If you, if everything's non-fungible, like 
uh, if like the information in my head cannot be transmitted to you, um, then like there's a reduction in network effect of the game. On the other hand, if everything is tradable, then you might have um, someone who knows nothing about the game acquire an object that requires a tremendous amount of achievement to sort of get, right? It'd almost be like in a PlayStation achievement. Like you got all the, you know, awards on some video game and then you handed it to your friend. That's just like, doesn't make any sense. It's like, that's like you that had those achievements. It'd be like you giving a, your soccer trophy to a friend. Like what, like what does it, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so achievements and things are something that would stick on your wall as part of your resume. And um, like a game design would typically have that sort of element to it. So, yeah, I don't know, like in Cosmos King, uh, as far as like, um, are there ways to make tokens and NFTs and things like permanently soul bound to a wallet or not is, you know, I don't know the answer to these questions. Right. So like imagine like you're so building a video game on crypto would be would you'd make the assumption that the underlying chain mechanics allow you to do certain things with your NFTs, with your um, like whatever. It's almost like if you have a chess board, right? You can play chess on it, but it's really hard to play Battleship on it, right? Because the the board does not favor right. this. You're not isolated to that specific system, right? Like, yeah, not- and, and I don't want to create a system where it requires a lot of additional tooling on top of the base layer. It's like to maximally utilize the chain parameters um and maybe like just because here's the thing like if you create a gigantic system that you have to maintain well guess what then someone has to maintain that and it's not it's not the same thing we wanted to have a you want to distributed decentralized game that once people are playing it the founders of the game can literally disappear and it can still work right like where is satoshi nobody knows but the game still works right that's going to be the best example of this who invented chess who the fuck knows but the game still works, right? Um, so, so that piece of the the that piece of the puzzle has to be intact because, like, anytime you have sort of a founder effect on a game, that can be negative for the game itself. Like, uh, this is the thing. Like, this is why it's tricky because if you build this thing, you can't just pay developers in the game token. This is not like one of those deals. If you do that, you're going to have a mismatch in the 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 fairness of the the future game right you want to have a system where you don't like ideally the ideal system is like you have a bunch of cosmos devs get together build this quickly build it for free launch it into the wild and people just start fucking around with it like it's just like a community project because if you pay anybody for it it creates issues if anything the developers who build something like this their alpha would be knowing how to play in the game better than everyone else early and so if they want to buy more of the tokens or whatever, or how they want to do it, that's their business. But you you definitely would not have a game where the early participants get an unfair advantage, including the developers. Like, it doesn't matter if you invented chess. You don't really have a material unfair like advantage. It doesn't matter if you invented poker. You could literally have invented the game and you still could lose to people um, and have no particular advantage to playing, right? So this is the kind of conceptual model i think like would resonate with people um I, I think there's definitely like a sense that people in crypto who have been around a while get a sense of like what is fair and what isn't right like wait were the tokenomics of this launch fair or bullshit whereas the 
you know, is this going to be a rug pull or what? Like, you know what I mean? Like, um, is this NFT going to be worth something at some point in the future or not? Um, like all of these kinds of ideas, people have, uh, eventually they wise up to this shit, right? So you want a game where like, it's bulletproof in terms of the bullshit detector. Like, you know, like there's almost no way to ruin the game in a sense. Um, by being an insider in the game and that's where the that's why it's important to have a lot of immutability not much governance shit going on things like that right um i almost got a sense that like maybe it ends up being like i don't know like three separate chains almost with three separate coins right because then what happens is is that you have various communities that are playing sort of against each other in a sense and may like form a bit of that tribalism and allows each of those chains to have slightly different parameters which are also mutable by the way you keep them you know like you know imagine like one coin is five percent inflationary one point coin is deflationary one coin is uh fixed supply these this is an example of something where you would use those three coins for slightly different purposes right um you know, so that's just an example um, of like maybe the inflationary coin you get like you get diluted if you don't uh, stake it, right? So if you, so like let's say it's twenty percent inflationary or thirty percent inflationary, right? Like if you don't stake the thing, you're getting di you're getting diluted. On the other hand, um, maybe um, like I don't know the inflationary one somehow drives the 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 opposite coin to go in the other direction and become deflationary somehow. Like, I don't know how that would work, but like, you, you know, you could create a mechanism whereby you might have benefits to holding either one, depending on your purpose, right? Like if you need a revenue engine in your, in the, as part of the game, then you hold the, 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 the staking token to generate the revenue to power the machines or something. And um, on the other hand, if you want store of value, you might the deflationary piece of it. Um, on the other hand, there'd be another token that like the only way to get the NFTs that you need for the game to work or to play might be that like, you know, it's inflationary, but it's inflationary in that it drops you NF specific NFTs that you need, not it drives you more of the coin that you need. Right. So you can do all sorts of weird shit like that, where it's like um, people will hold the different ones for different purposes. And I think um, uh depending on how versatile cosmos infrastructure is and again i don't know exactly like stargaze people would probably know like shane or whoever i'd probably get them on and talk to him about it but the idea would be like right you you have these different um uh capabilities but i don't want to create like layers of tooling on top of the original blockchain i want to take advantage of the features of the chain that make it possible to do these things so maybe the answer is like there's a coin that gets released as a sub token on Stargaze because then you can use the NFT tooling for producing the NFTs for the game. You use like, um, I don't know, Neutron because it's fixed supply and you use that for something and then maybe use Atom for something because it's a revenue generator. So maybe the right answer is that you don't use a whole nother set of game tokens that you just use existing Cosmos ecosystem tokens somehow. Um, and that way you engage already gigantic communities of people, right? That's another way to look at this. I don't, so I, I just don't know how far to like um, go with uh, producing something brand new versus using 
tokens and tooling and shit that are already in the ecosystem, which could unite everybody in a sense. Because right right now, like the thing is like Cosmos Hub and all the different Cosmos chains lack a certain level of unity. There's not anything fucking really cool that you're going to do by being an owner of all the chains. It's like, oh, I can go to Kujira and I have a DEX. Oh, I can go to Injective. Oh, look, another DEX. I can go to Terra. Hey, oh, wait, there's a DEX here. I mean, what the fuck are you going to do? Like trading a bunch of useless coins that don't do anything, right? Um, it's just not fun enough to me. Like, I think the entertainment value on Terra was really fun when they had UST and they had Anchor and whatever else, some stocks and shit to trade and stuff. But like, most of these changes, like, quite literally lack any sort of entertainment value whatsoever. It's it's kind of pathetic, actually. Like, the connection with crypto and gaming is really, really obvious, but almost nobody's actually bothering with it. And um, And the ones that have are largely, like, replicating a, what I think is a, like, you know, traditional gaming experience. So the same way like TradFi is being replic- replicated in DeFi, you're seeing like Trad gaming being replicated in crypto gaming. And what we really need is like, I think crypto native games that, that where the game board is not what you would think of for like an MMO game board, you know, traditional sort of like 3D world. You're not trying to replicate Grand Theft Auto here. You're not trying to replicate um, Gran Turismo here. You're not trying to replicate Street Fighter or something. The the point is like the a crypto native game um, would not require some sort of complicated graphical use, sort of user interface unless you wanted to add that on top. At the base layer, you're talking about a coin ecosystem similar to how like Dungeons and Dragons has like you know they have a dice ecosystem and like a, a um, attack and defense characteristics and stuff. And you can build any number of like um, Dungeons and Dragons games on top of that. Like recently, um, what's it called? Baldur's Gate 3 came out, for example, or whatever. Um, and the gaming engine, though, is fundamentally just D&D rule set, right? I don't remember what version it is, but like the latest D&D version rule set. And then the games are built on top of that. Same thing as here would be like you're somewhat building a gaming um, platform with the various coins. And once you have that engine created, you could create other games on top of it and no one would know the difference, right? Like the front end developer could completely change the names of all the tokens quite literally and it wouldn't make any difference, right? It'd be like just, a, it'd be just a different game. Um, it's not it's like, it's like building Protestantism on top of Catholicism. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like, or like, yeah, there's like original um you know the original bible or whatever you want to call it but then people kind of yeah make up some side stories and um and then on top of that like take it a step further there's entire stories that are probably quasi christian for example but they they may have some like i like the tales of narnia for example i think is one of those right like there are yeah there's like a christian story underneath some of it some of the value systems and whatever but you don't talk about jesus during the you know, the Narnia story, like that kind of thing. Um, so you could do things like that if you have a token ecosystem that um, favors, um, you know, so, so yeah, it'd have to be really thought out a little bit. Like what would be the key characteristics of something like that? Um, what would be the, the, what is the token infrastructure? What does that look like exactly? And I think a lot of it has been invented in crypto already. It's like there's, 
inflationary coins, there's deflationary coins, there's fixed supply coins, right? You have that whole thing. And then you have things that are soul bound versus those that are not. You have NFTs, they're fungible, but their relative marketplace is relatively small. You have DEXs to trade these various things. You have faucets to give out free tokens. You have, like, you know, you could almost make a list. What are all the possible game mechanics you could use? Randomness, you could use time. Um, you could use things that are beneficial if you only like to play solo. There's other things that are beneficial if you really like to play in a group, right? Like, and those could be different, different things. Um, you're seeing that in crypto now. Like, like many of us just go to our wallet, buy some tokens, stick them in our wallet, right? Other people will go and you know they'll invest in Lion DAO or something, right? Because the DAO has a bunch of coins, and you, as the Lion DAO token holder, get benefits of the yield from holding all these coins in the treasury, right? That's an example of a group event in crypto. So anything you see in like the, the I would say anything you see in the um, real world, as far as how human beings behave with one another, you can replicate that in a coin game experience at some fundamental level. And, um, and, and it's just a matter of like putting all of it together. And it just really like what I don't see, it's like a little like, um, what's the right way to say this? Because I don't, I've not developed on Cosmos because I have not actually built like um you know a chain out or something i don't know what all parameters are in there that can change and how those those things can be used to the advantage of a game and what parameters are not possible so what ends up happening is i dream up some shit and that it can't actually be built that's not useful right <laughs> like that's the thing so i, I don't want to create like ideas that can't be incorporated easily or are too expensive to do so it has to be scaled in such a way that it's built out relatively free and relative, like super inexpensive. So I think like Dow Dow and enterprise um, have done a good job in that. If you look at lion Dow as an example, uh, someone, you know, enterprise created the infrastructure to create a Dow. Um, Ryan lion and, you know, a bunch of us, you know, who supported him were like, Oh yeah, this is kind of cool. Uh, he did an airdrop to a bunch of Luna holders, so that got you know some attention going. And then um, you know there's a Lion token that the DAO thing can produce that prints out. And then you can have a treasury in that where the yield from the different assets within that treasury, some of which were donated, some of which were whatever, um, can be paid out to the token holders. And maybe some people um, you know bought themselves the Lion token because they are hoping that it's going to do well or go up in value. So that's just like a, a, a rudimentary version of this game, I would say. And and maybe like this is the right avenue. Maybe the right avenue is you just create three set, like my game should be like three separate DAOs. You create parameters for the coin factory in those DAOs, make those coins, and then fuel the DAOs with like, you know, so if you believe in in, you know, you know, this God versus this God versus this God, this chain versus that, maybe the injective DAO versus, um, you know, Adam DAO versus whoever. And everyone just kind of goes crazy because they don't want to be looked at like their chain is like the loser DAO. So you have to like pump the fuck out of it or something. Something weird has to happen where like people throw money at it for no good reason. And as that happens, like it generates a, um, a value mechanism. And like an argument can be made that like a value mechanism is simply tribalism itself, right? Like tribalism for tribalism's sake is just fun, right? That's why people play sports. It's why people play video games, why people play MMOs um, and they create guilds and all that shit, right? Like, so yeah, I mean like how to maximally utilize um, 
tribalistic behavior and like uh, divert that into something really fun is kind of the thinking here, I think. Well, that's why I find uh, Bruce's project so interesting is because uh, like, like you guys were talking about, it like introduces like a different kind of game into, you know, a kind of frame that is yeah. entirely contradictory. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, what is the philosophy of the thing? Right. And, and by the way, um, every type of crypto basically has economic and governance philosophy baked into it. Uh, so for example, if you look at BTC, um, it's, you know, like store of value narrative is that, um, it's not really great for an economically viable world because if you have a deflationary coin, you know, fixed supply or deflationary, then it actually makes the rich get richer quite quickly and the poor get poorer quite quickly. So if you don't like that, you, like Bitcoin may not resonate with you. Right. It's literally made to make rich people richer. That's what Bitcoin's for. <laughs> like hold now, other people will buy, your your number will go up, right? That's the whole point. And there's no inflation to sort of like trim that in any manner. So um as a store of value, it's like the opposite of like paying inheritance taxes and paying, you know, like so so like there is an economic philosophy baked into every crypto asset, inflationary, deflationary, fixed supply, whatever. Um, some, some of them like favor security over speed and some of them favor, um, like Solana favors speed over, I don't know, like immutability or whatever it is, you know? So like there's, or, there's trade-offs basically that in the ecos in the crypto. And I think like take Zephyr, for example, it's a privacy coin, right? Like if you value privacy and that's one of your values, then you're more likely to use Zephyr than say, mm, I don't know, an Adam or something like that. So each of these things has like a utility, but also reflects a certain v value of that group of people. And I think that's an interesting thing. That's another thing, King, like uh, it almost makes sense that like some parts of the game you would not want to have on a public ledger, right? Like, like, like what if you don't want to, you, your guild does not want to show all its cards. Like in poker, you need to be able to like hide your hand until the time where you show your cards, right? Like, if you can't do that, there's only certain types of games that can be played. Um, so randomness, like poker has both privacy and randomness in it as a great example. So um, it, it has core features of the universe sort of baked into the way the game works. Um, but um, yeah, like, but yeah, if you do a fully public ledger game that creates one set of consequences, a private game cause a different set of consequences it'd be really really cool if like something like zephyr could get like i don't know ibc somehow connected to it or some shit like and you have a privacy proof of work coin in the background that'd be really interesting because then like all of your moves are not telegraphed automatically like you could you could um you know and maybe secret network or something could be part of it but i think the problem is people technologically have not figured out how to make um privacy to non-privacy networks work really well together um so you like i think this is one of the reasons by the way that like gaming hasn't reached into crypto very deeply the tool sets are still kind of shitty in some in many ways like like if you're gonna have like an open wallet how in the hell are you gonna expect to play like games against other people in a pvp manner um right now when you, people can just snoop your wallet and see what you've got in it Right. Like, oh, this guy's prepping for 
this particular event. Um, oh, look, the wallets all show. But that, that, that's also a, maybe a plus side in some way, because if you can't see what everyone's doing, you can't plan your next action, right? Um, so how much of the game is obscured versus not obscured? Um, like in poker, you have some data coming in. Like, for example, how many players are at the table is not obscured. Uh, how many cards have been drawn so far out of the deck has, is not obscured. How many decks are being used when you play the game is not obscured, right? So these are, like when you show up at a poker table, it's not like, oh, sometimes you play and there's three decks in the game and sometimes there's eight decks or whatever. That's not how this works, right? Um, so there are certainly some facts about the game that you could hold as gold standard or fact, some parts of it that are unobscured. Um, and like, so one of the ways you can create obfuscation is, is through time is randomness, because if there's an event that happens, uh, a hurricane hits the, the game land a month from now, but only if like you get a roll on a randomness roll of you know six out of ten or something right or like if you get a nine out of ten you get a category nine hurricane or whatever you know and if you get a ten you get a category ten something like that right like the the even if you know an event is coming a month from now you may not know the magnitude of that event right so it's like partially obscured um so like because how do you play the game if you know nothing about what's going to happen next right like if you can't like for example, if the rules of the game were to change halfway through, you're now playing blackjack, not poker. You're like, wait, what the fuck's going on here? You won't know what you like, right? So you have to have some rules that make sense. On the other hand, like, um, yeah, how do you obscure certain certain um, components of the game uh, so that like someone cannot simply just use the data about you to win, um, right? And that's that's an interesting. Um, consideration um and maybe there's some i don't know some cross-chain tactic where this could be done where like you take a group of wallets and you form a guild or something and maybe you form the guild on um i, I don't know how it even work exactly but maybe you could form the guild on a different chain that the game's actually played on and i don't know i'm not sure so yeah like the, the game mechanics of how to get all these things to work very tricky um, but fairy like you can see fairy like it doesn't even matter what the actual game is like all i'm talking generalizations here it's like mechanics principles of how what could actually be built is what i need to know that's the research i need right someone says oh yeah that could be built easily oh no that's gonna be really hard in blockchain space right or wait a minute like that's hard in you know doing it executing on blockchain but you know you could execute on a different layer, a different chain or something, right? Or something like that. Um, you know, like maybe execution of certain code has to happen elsewhere because like we don't have a full programming set on this particular chain. Does that make sense? Like it's, um, yeah, like w where does actual code get executed in a decentralized way? How do you keep the oracles decentralized? Um, do you pay for chain link or something? How do you... Um, where do you put all the data? Like, do you have a literally a data availability system that you have to use? And I don't know how that shit works and whatever, right? So like, I, I have a little bit of understanding of how, what the meaning of these things are. I don't know what the technical limitations are without some, having some nerds around telling me like, oh yeah, this is, we've envisioned this. This is how you'd play, play a game on Celestia or something. Um, you know, these kinds of ideas. Like, I don't, I don't know the, 
the semantics, the the technical details. And that's my problem. So like, I, that's why I haven't really pushed heavily forward. Um, this is one of those things that like a conversation with Reese, for example, from Juno would be like, he has a pretty good sense of how to do this sort of shit, right? Because he can spin up an, uh, he, he can spin up a blockchain about what, three, four hours? <laughs> like the Joe chain he created was like in a space with us over like the time of this conversation, he would have spun up an entire blockchain, right? That's so he knows what he's doing. So, and I, but I don't know like what new superior advantages noise gives you or like Nameda, which is a privacy chain or like, um, it'd be really interesting having a combination of these different chains come together to form some kind of interesting game thing, you know, game mechanic. But I'm not talking about the kind of game that's like arcade game where it's like you're doing actions every few seconds. We're talking about something where um, you might make a few changes to your wallet, maybe per day, maybe once a day, right? We're not talking about a game where you know, you have to constantly monitor some shit. Like, you know, it's very much like crypto. You know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, what did the market do? Did my coins go up or down? Oh, wait, they went down. I need to buy some more. Oh, look, they went up. I need to sell some more, right? You, you don't sit there and like necessarily monitor the crypto space the entire day and night, right? Same thing here. I'm not envisioning something where it's like uh, you're perpetually online to fucking do this thing. But uh, yeah, Mohammed, you, you had a question? comment yes happy so <clears throat> my question is that like uh, a few days back so there was a space so i was in so the guys were talking about the metaverse and the nfts things that uh, this is probably not the right time you know but uh probably in the future we are going to see a boom so uh, what you say what is the best like a way to to mint the nft or so you have any suggestions or sort of things like that so and uh, one more thing, like for for it depends. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Now with minting, like there's NFTs on almost every layer one now, so you can get them in Ethereum, and you can go to um, Stargaze on in Cosmos, for example. You can go like so many different places. So are they going to be valuable and whatever? Uh, most of them will not be. Um, a few of them will be. I think most people get NFTs mostly for entertainment purposes, not necessarily for um, they're going to go up in value because most will not, um, you know, but like what I was talking about more of is the technology underlying some of these things and um, how easy it is to take that tech and turn it into games and things now. Not so much like I know that NFTs exist. I know that blockchains exist, right? Like, et cetera. I'm saying like, how do you, how easy has it become to integrate those things from a technical perspective? Like how much development time is required nowadays? is what I've been a bit more concerned about. Like, um, so I think there's a lot more tooling now than there was like three years ago. That's for damn sure. Um, but as far as like, yeah, which ones to buy and whatever, I mean, you'll have to just look, figure it out yourself, I guess. Like I tend to get NFTs on Stargaze cause I'm a Cosmos dork. So that's where I get my, you know, if I buy some NFTs that some of the friends put out, like Finn here that runs Terra spaces. Um, he had some music NFTs, for example, I picked some up for, of his, um um i've gotten some different art nfts from people i have some rack fm which is also their group like some of their nfts in the past so yeah like there's different ones and i don't know like i don't really buy them for investment purposes i'm me personally i just buy them when i want to support like friends that you know produce some nft or something like that so more, almost sort of like a a person would if they were like an art um 
sponsor or something, you know, like I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not going to make so much money in NFTs and I'm worried about it. Um, as far as like following the prices and shit like this. Right. But you know, as far as like metaverses and whatever else, metaverse is a very general term. It doesn't really mean anything. It just means anything in the computer space, honestly. And, um, like that will take many, many forms depending on what you call a metaverse. When some people say metaverse, they're thinking like ready player one, you know, you're wearing like a Facebook Oculus or some shit and you're like playing around in some 3D space. Other people consider metaverse just simply like, I would say metaverses began with this, when human beings started to write or draw walls, cave, you know, paintings on cave wall paintings. Once you sort of got a universe that was not just your physical space, but like a mental space that shared, that began sharing, that sharing began with art and like metaverses will have very, very different meanings for different people as far as like, you know, I think you're like many people consider like the sci-fi version of like the Star Trek holodeck or some shit like that. Like that's good. That's kind of what they have in their head. Oh, metaverse in a sense, like, uh, like uh, you are purchasing or you are buying some characters or you are buying some land in, in a metaverse in, in that sense. I'm talking about you are, you are buying some characters. So probably in the future it goes up and, you know, you can make a money. So it's, it's like that. So Yeah. I, I think it's like a, to make money in that sort of thing, you would have to be very, very, detail oriented in your in your buying like you would have to know that ecosystem really well you need to know what the users really want in that space and then you have to go find out what is why would people want these in the future for scarcity or some other purpose and then you'd have to like it's no different than if you walk into an art gallery like if you go to an art gallery today in the real world and you buy some painting are many of those paintings going to go up in value no they are not right like they're just going to like there's a lot of basic paintings out there. Same thing is true of like metaverse real estate and all this bullshit. Like the vast majority of those things did not hold their value to the bear market. So yeah, if you bought them during the bear market and you wanted to hold them for some reason, fine. But um, these things tend to be very fad oriented, man. Like, like people will be like, oh yeah, the next big thing is going to be sandbox. And, you know, and everyone will go and buy that and pump the price of the NFTs or whatever. And, um, you know, then the next season, it'll be something else and something else. Um, so which of those is going to be like popular enough to sustain itself over many decades? Uh, nobody really knows. Like take, for example, in video gaming, uh, people are still playing, uh, EverQuest. They're still playing RuneScape. They're still playing, um, games like uh, world of Warcraft, for example. And those, those systems are still generating some buzz and network effect and whatever but are people making a ton of money on selling goods within those games nowadays i don't think so so the thing is like so many things that are sort of metaverse oriented will not actually make you any money except for some speculative pumps in the short run but like how many of those things are investor grade quote unquote where like it makes sense to own them and they're gonna like I don't know. It's it's whatever. Like right now, most of us are not living in some sort of metaverse land where we intend to deploy tons of capital and waste a lot of money. I would say though in video gaming, uh you'd be shocked how much people spend on video game assets though. Um people in like even on iPad games where you pay to, you know, you pay for the different um you know how you pay to get ahead or you pay for certain items or things like that. 
people spend like from thousands of dollars all the way to literal hundreds of thousands of dollars inside a video game to, to buy shit within the game. Um, I think one of the famous ones was the Kim Kardashian game where people bought a fuck ton of shit. Like, I don't know how much money that game made, but a lot. Um, and uh, that played on the culture of the Kardashians or whatever. And people literally just bought shit for their paper dolls. I mean, it's just stupid. I don't even know what why you would do it. But yeah, there was like a ecosystem for that. Um, you know, the thing is that like human metaverses are almost very similar to nightclubs. If you know how like nightclubs work, like, you know, um, you know, in any given city, you might have a nightclub. It's like the hot new place and it's popular for a while. But then all the various types of people that would go to a nightclub like that get bored of that thing. And then all of a sudden there's not any new users and then they close it down. And they build another nightclub somewhere else. And then it's that becomes the hot new thing and everyone shows up there. So I would say like metaverse related shit is very, very fashion oriented. And because tech is moving so substantially fast, um, what is interesting now as metaverse space may not be interesting to the next generation of people. Like right now, like, for example, Minecraft is still popular, right? Um, and Roblox and whatever became popular. Is that going to be popular to the so the kids that are playing that now? Are their kids going to be playing Minecraft and Roblox? I don't know. Maybe not. Right. They could be there could be something else. So these things tend to be generational. They tend to be kind of like fashion oriented. Um, you know, I'm not really playing around with a whole lot of quote unquote metaverse investing. <laughs> like if you bought Facebook stock at the bottom, you probably did pretty well. But outside of that, like, I don't know. There's people here that buy shit like that, um, for sure. Uh, there's some hardcore people that like really live in like that sandbox game or um, Illuvium or some of these other games that are out there. Um, I don't know how much they're going to like. A, I don't know how much those are going to pump this season or whatever. No idea. Um, King, are you did you do you own any like metaverse shit like in crypto? The so-called metaverse stuff like <laughs> I don't have any. Oh, like NFTs. Yeah, yeah, I do own quite a few NFTs. Yeah. No, but NFTs that are specific for like some sort of meta metaverse gaming space, like, or just NFTs, like art NFTs. Um, yeah, I was promised like a few uh, stuff, like, but I'm still waiting for it. But um, I haven't really seen the game's manifest, is it? But like, um, good faith, right? Oh, some, some games that you thought might be like future places to own some real estate or something. Yeah. But so much of that shit is vaporware though. Like they sell a bunch of land or whatever, no actual serious game emerges or like maybe they got a business or whoever and, you know, during the bear market or something. So I don't know how good those things have played out. In fact, uh, a big one um, from last season that was looking really interesting was star Atlas. Um, let me see what happened to it. Um, usually like what happens is bull markets show up, all the speculators show up. They're like, what should we invest in? Like what kind of metaverse is going to go up in value? And then like, and then the coin pumps or whatever. Um, but let me see. Uh, Star Atlas was like a big one that was kind of, um, and I believe it's the Atlas, Atlas token. And let's see what happened to their coin price here lately. Well, it giga pumped during the bull market, like to, really high levels initially when it first opened and then it dumped like a lot like it went down the coin price went down let me see if i can find the metrics here probably like 99 percent, something like that <laughs> one sec let me find it real quick um 
have it open on CoinGecko. Yeah, here. Um, yeah, from the all-time high, Star Atlas token is down 98% at the moment. And so, like, are they going to build something? Maybe. Let's see. If you go to the Star Atlas website, um, let's see. Grand strategy game of space exploration, conquest, and political domination, domination and more. So let's see. They always have like a gallery of neat 3D pictures because that's what sells tokens. Advanced mining towns, towns and mining sites. So you go to basically different planets and things. You mine shit. Um, I believe there's like some PvP thing. There's a faction thing. So there's like um, the a variety of factions on here. Um, this is a 3D rendered world. So like ultimately underlying like you would be playing the game in theory with all these 3D things happening. Um, they had a variety of like NFT posters that they sold just for kind of like the culture. Um, they sold spaceships for crazy amount of money back then. It was like, oh, you're going to buy this special edition spaceship for like, I don't know, people are paying $10,000, $20,000, dollars $30,000 for the special edition early spaceships or some shit thinking they'd be able to sell it to flip it with some point for higher price. So you can see it on their website, all the different spaceships. Let's see what, what it has on here. The buy the VZ US Opod now. The fuck is that? Let's see. Um, <laughs> so like they, they create a pretty sizable website here too. It has like ships, resources, collectibles, structures, story. And um, let me see about buying something. So let's see. I'm going to buy a VZUS Opod, which is rare. Let's view the item. And let's see what you can do here. Um, and it's like a spaceship, basically. Um, it shows you my orders, my order history, bookmarks. I'm presuming you have to collect. Yeah, you connect a wallet to this. You can connect a Phantom wallet, a Soulflare wallet, Coinbase wallet, Ledger, Backpack, Exodus. So there's like series of wallets you can connect and then buy your various assets um i don't know this is moving pretty slowly Let's see if i can actually get it to show something there are no sellers of this particular thing at the moment um okay how do i buy some shit then <laughs> like i don't know um yeah so anyway they had like the ability to buy all sorts of i don't know nfts and shit and the idea would be like the the problem with these games is that like they try to sell you a whole bunch of shit like NFTs and whatever, and they use these as a way to finance the um, the game world. So you buy these various things, these different posters and different things, and they would use that revenue to then fund their ecosystem. The trouble with video games is it requires a lot of money to build a video game and like many millions of dollars, um, you know, to build something pretty decent. Usually, maybe faster now with AI and stuff with you know generation of assets and stuff but like really tough to build um a, a game that's really any good especially one that's going to sustain and be power popular so when it comes to these like attempts to sell you know like okay here's like yeah mm, um someone wants to okay buy such and such thing for six thousand atlas how much is atlas worth like 25 cents or something no five point zero zero five so there's, um, yeah. And so the problem with this type of thing is like, if you try to sell it in the native token without using a stable coin, the problem is when the price of the coin goes down, the price of all the shit you bought, your NFTs, everything goes down relative to the price you paid. 
which is really a problem. This was why like people were really excited when Terra had UST and like video games could incorporate things like UST as a way to pay for shit because who the hell wants to pay for something in a token that is going to then subsequently moon because now you have like an NFT, but then the token price you had mooned. Or the flip side is you use up like your, your, you use your tokens and the price of the NFT is measured in the token that you are dealing with. Now you have to reprice everything uh, because your token dumped like 90% or something. So like your artwork has to go up in 10 times in the number of stars tokens or whatever. So these have been the problems with like NFT sales and all this other shit with like and video games in these token ecosystems. I get the sense that like, I don't know, these game developers, they have some idea what they're doing. But when it comes to sort of like tokenomic token economics, sometimes I don't. I feel like they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Like it just doesn't make any sense. So, Sefi, uh, what do you think? Like, uh, basically, the salespersons. Basically, I'm using this terminology for the you know the guys who are basically right now on the spaces. They are they are basically managing spaces. They are basically managing people. So I, I basically use a term for them that is a salespersons. So you think those salespersons are basically responsible for for like dumping or are basically the breakdown of some projects that are that are really more important and they are basically they, they are basically behind that things you know they are cutting down the people they are making money out of the people by using their sentiments so so what do you think about those guys man those in spaces particularly nowadays um I don't know. There's, there's good people everywhere. And then there's also, um, I don't know, I guess bad people everywhere. The thing is like, I mean, here's the thing. Let's say you bought a coin of some kind. Let's say it's related to a video game or maybe you bought an NFT. Then you're going to love those people for talking about your project that you bought. Right. Cause you're, you're hoping that they're going to talk about your project and other people are going to come buy your thing. So if you don't have anyone advertising, nobody knows about your game or your project, and it basically does nothing, right? I mean, like Tokir is not here right now. He's 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 it works in the gaming industry in Dubai, and like he talks about how a major portion of the money for video games, like tra traditional video games, like something like forty percent plus of the money goes straight to marketing, like literally paying YouTubers to play that game online and show off the game so that they can get attention. It's very difficult to get attention in crypto games, whatever. So yeah, are there some people in Twitter spaces or whoever they're shilling whatever project they have in hopes that the coin goes up? Sure. I mean, like, why would anyone talk about a coin if they didn't hope the, the coin went up in value? Like, if I talk about Zephyr, am I hoping the price goes down? I don't think so. Like, <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense. So, so yeah, like, you should assume that anyone, you should take everything that someone says on Twitter or anywhere else, the assumption that they have some reason to talk about that project, otherwise they wouldn't be. There are people on Twitter spaces and other platforms that are quite legitimately paid to talk, um, that they have been paid by like some organization or a team or whatever. And um, and I think that's fine too. Like, I don't think, I think there's room for everybody. Um, I think there's, it's fine to be paid for these things if people wanna get paid for them. Like, why wouldn't you be? Like, who's going to do this stuff for free? You're going to make the developers rich because of the goodness of your heart? I mean, the reality is, like, you know, um, to have an economy where there's, like, jobs in crypto and stuff, like, people have to actually get paid something. Um, and that's fine, in my opinion. Now, what's 
probably not fine is if like people are not disclosing this information. They're not making it clear that, by the way, we're sponsored by so-and-so. I've been paid to do this thing or whatever. That's probably, uh, you know, in some jurisdictions illegal, depending on what it is you're talking about, to not disclose what you're talking about and like shill something. But, um, you know, like usually like that's why when I talk about a coin or something, I'm like, listen, guys, I bought it at this price. And I might sell it at this price, so be aware. <laughs> like, you know, I don't really try to keep any secrets about the fact that, you know. And then periodically people ask me about some coin I don't own, and I'll like just look at a chart or something and talk about it. But that doesn't mean necessarily I'm going to go buy it just because I talked about it or whatever, right? So I don't know if that's what question you have, but like, yeah, are there some scammers and whatever out there? Yeah, probably. On the other hand, like there's a wide definition of what one would consider a a scammer. I would say most of the people I've seen in Twitter spaces are not scammers. Um, I would say probably like 95% of groups I've witnessed are not necessarily out there purely scamming. They're mostly just talking about their project or shilling their thing or whatever. Now, if you buy some thing that someone shilled and you bought the top, um, I got news for you. No, there's like, there is no babysitter on Twitter or anywhere else that's going to keep you from losing your money. Um, and is you know, and you will lose not lose money, but you you could buy too high, and the price of an asset goes down, and that's just life. So, um, yeah, that's that's definitely a thing. And you have to imagine like, um, there is no point at which someone's going to say, "Wait, the price of my board ape is too high. I'm never going to talk about this again." Right? Like, oh, my NFT is worth a hundred thousand dollars US. Um, you know, but like in that person's mind, it's like they might be thinking they're shilling it to you, but it's still cheap. Like it could go to a million dollars is the next ether rock. Right. So the problem is, is that like, um, value and whatever is in the eye of the beholder and, um, the, like what is ethical and what isn't in terms of shilling is completely different from each person to person for sure. So like, like, like your version of what's ethical and what their version of both ethical is maybe very two different things. So is that what you mean by, was that you're asking? Like, of the different people that you've seen yeah yeah that's 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 the main point right like uh like uh, people are like um no let's just put it in this ways so in the spaces what they basically do they create an hype right so they yeah, sure. they suggest few tokens few coins and when people buy that shit they ultimately so dump them or probably switch off their uh, like twitter accounts and so go away with the money man so yeah, the newbies, you know, they don't. Yeah, know. there's some there's some of that going on, but like it takes quite a bit of time to develop a Twitter account. So, like you know, if you have like a, an organic following, um, yeah, I mean, there's certain folks that like have like paid Discord groups and probably dump on followers and whatever. But the reality is, here's the thing: like, um, I don't know, I I bought some of my tokens much lower than the price that there are now. That when I'm talking about them. Now, does that make it bad that I'm talking about them? I don't know. Like, you tell me. Um, and I think what it is is like, again, like, what does dumping mean exactly? In crypto, everyone can sell their coins, including the person shilling it, including you. Like, the, the funny thing is, like, it's like the listener's like, oh, it's okay as long as I get to sell before you do. Right. So, in other words, you can't ever sell your coins if you're a perfectly, like, um, perfectly ethical individual. No, this is just a free market. That's just what it is expect to be expect to be sold on and it's like um if you believe something's worth something at a certain value you buy it if you believe it's no longer worth that it's overvalued you should sell it 
if you want to hold it forever because you like the artwork or whatever, hold it forever. I have a ton of stuff that I don't even know what I paid for it. And I, and I own it now in NFT format and I'm not selling them ever. I don't really ever intend to, so I don't really care. So I think everyone's version of this is very different. But if you're going to think that you're going to make money in the space, you better do a lot of research. Like you, you can't just simply like I know enough about crypto. I could make up just about anything. Right. I could I could make anything sound good if I just simply like I'm not an unethical person. So I try not to do that. I try to like clarify the risks and benefits and whatever. But it's very easy to like if you're technically, um, you know, if you've been around here long enough and you know enough of the language. To I, make up just about anything. Yeah, Steffi, the, the main point is that, you know, I'm talking about the newbies, right? So as I am in, uh, in this... Yeah, well, my, my take on newbies is newbies are here to lose money, generally. <laughs> no, it is like... Some of us have been here for in capital markets for decades, and many of us have lost money in lots of things. Uh, and that's, what it, that's the price of being in a market is newbies tend to lose more money than people that are experienced period end of story let me tell you like i'm in i'm, I'm in crypto like it's been four years so yeah. every day when i come to a new space i learn new thing man so so yeah so this is not like, this is not like some communist environment or some socialist environment where like you can be a moron and then like walk away like necessarily automatically rich now having said this i would say that a lot of the dimwits made a lot of money like, like people that know nothing about crypto would buy like Dogecoin or whatever. And the thing would 10,000 X and they made a lot more money than the so-called smart people did in some ways. So like, it's not automatic that you have to be a genius around here. Like you can be a complete dolt and just buy everything and do great. Like, this is the funny thing. Like, like, so <laughs> it's not an automatic, but in general, over time, if what happens is, is smart money usually makes more money and dumb money usually makes less over time. Given enough time, a, a sheer gambler is going to lose all their money, right? Compared to someone who is, uh, you know, more measured in their tactics. So, but yeah, like there is an element of uh, learning experience that you know people get wallet hacks, they get you know trojans, they get viruses, they get I don't know what. <laughs> so the reality is, yeah, a lot of people in the space, um, as well as in stocks and things, will lose a lot of money. That's just part of the part of the game. Um, and yeah, like the the less diversified you are and the less like money you're gambling with, well, that's just life, right? Like it's the same thing if you go to Las Vegas. If you go to Las Vegas and you're a newbie and you're taking like, you know, a million dollars to the poker table and you're taking your whole life savings, like what are you doing there, right? Like, but there's no law that prevents a newbie from approaching a poker table with their all their life savings, correct? So you know, it is what it is. Same thing here. So you, you don't, you can't feel bad for people that lose money. That's just part of this game. Because when you sell at profit, someone else is losing money somewhere, right? Or their profit potential is being taken. That's just a fact. Like there's just no way around this. That's just how markets work. Um, when, as soon as people wrap that, like you need to wrap that around your brain, like first thing you do when you arrive here, right? Like there's no other way around it. Like otherwise you're going to get yourself wrecked. Um, and like, but we're just like this group is probably like people that are already know what they're doing to some extent. Like we're not, we're not talking about total newbies here. So I don't typically do a lot of newbie discussions because that's not who's listening to me, right? Like most newbies can't, um, like can't keep up, like <laughs> or at least they don't have the patience. Not newbies, but like the really dumb folks don't have the patience for this sort of conversation. So they don't really hang out, hang out long. They prefer like the pump spaces, like 
in the NFT space in particular, there's there's some people that throw some really fun kind of like, you know, pump it up type of spaces. They're just messing around. They're smoking weed half the time. They're just goofing off, right? Like that is not the crowd that's showing up to hear me drone on about bullshit about crypto. Like that's just not the same group. So it's like, I don't know. Um, it is what it is. Yeah, that makes sense, man. That makes sense. But uh, yeah, knowledge is not comparable with anything, man. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. But so, you know, it's interesting though, man, like it's fun to go to those spaces too. Like I will sometimes like go hang out with some people that do just some goofy fun shit. And you know why? Because like, even as a nerd, like you need to know what people are thinking. You need to know like, where is money flowing in crypto? Like what entertains people? What do newbies want out of life, out of crypto, out of whatever? And if you don't go to a variety of different places, then the only viewpoint you have is your own and your group of friends. And that's like, that can be a negative in my opinion. Like, in fact, um, many of the so-called like crypto narratives that you tend to miss are because you fade various things. Like you asked me about metaverses and things earlier, and I admit it, I don't know too much about them. That doesn't mean you can't go and make a ton of money in that thing, by the way, right? Like you might do really well. Um, but I just don't know the culture of the various little things to buy or whatever. That doesn't mean that like, in fact, I would be the least likely person to tell you which exactly what to buy there that you're going to be successful. And so like, I, I, that, that just because I don't talk about it doesn't mean it's all bullshit. There could be some really cool stuff there, right? It's, it, it is what it is. Like, I just don't know. So I don't get too wrapped up in like, oh, those guys are shillers or those guys are doing this or those guys are doing that. That's just a waste of time. Like if you, even if you go to like entertainment, right? Like you have people that are listening to Beethoven or Mozart or something. And you have other people that are listening to like just street music. Um, sometimes the street music makes, makes way more money than the, the Mozart stuff, right? So like culturally, like, you know, the most profitable thing may not be the most smart thing in the world necessarily. So just always just kind of keep an open mind as far as that's concerned. Um, it's the same thing if you own a business or something, right? Like you own a restaurant, who are you actually selling to? Like, who's your, who's your target clientele? If you own a gym, are you trying to find, you know, rich people that can pay $300 a month? Are you trying to find people that can pay only $30 a month? Right. Um, so like your, your target audience and what type of things they like are going to be relevant. So if you're talking about metaverses and stuff, that's a different audience. You've got to understand like what the gamer wants. What does that metaverse person want? How much are they willing to spend? Like re realistically, like are people going to spend a hundred thousand dollars for this NFT or not? Um, whatever, right? Like you have to understand your target market. And um, the, the the most immediate thing in crypto you want to do is like be open minded. Assume everyone's a scammer and that no one's a scammer. Like both at the same time, it's really tough. It's really tough to to know. And um, if you assume everyone's a scammer, you'll keep your risk down because you want to invest too much in any one thing. But you're like, hey, these people sound like they're having fun. I want to buy some of their coin. All right, fine, get it but like get a little bit right um <laughs> so that's what the concept of like allocation assume your thing's going to go to zero at the same time assume it could go to infinity and you're just an idiot and too dumb to know why it can go to infinity but it could moon right like <laughs> you have to think of it from both angles simultaneously and eventually like if you hang around here long enough you're like yeah i think that has potential to go up or be useful um and then the more projects and types of things you invest in or actually use you're like, hey, this thing has real utility for me. I could see other people using this if it's helpful for me. 
Um, like I use an iPhone. I think this thing's amazing. I think other people like to use the iPhone. Therefore, I'm going to get Apple stock um, or something like that, right? Um, so yeah, actually using the products and uh, like understanding the ecosystem sometimes is a full-time job. Like you have to keep on playing with this shit. So that's the other thing you have to commit to is decide, wait a minute, am I like a serious investor where I want to know all the details? Or, hey, look, so-and-so is shilling this, you know, and I'm too lazy to learn this shit myself. I'm just going to buy it. Like, <laughs> like I'll give you an example. Like, there's some things that if some of the guys in this room are like, yeah, you should buy this. I'm like, all right, fine. Which exchange do I go to? How much should I buy? And I'll literally just go based on whatever they say. Other things, it's like they come to me and they're like, hey, what do you think? Is this good? What? I'm like, yeah, I think it's all right. Um, so I think like using a group of people that, um, like having a group of people that, um, have different viewpoints and maybe have tried different things will give you a sense also of, um, of like what this all is. But for the newbie, the problem is like, you don't have a network either. Like the new person that shows up, they don't know anybody like, and they have no, like, you know, if you can't just DM people left and right and ask them silly questions, cause why would they talk to you? Like, you know, so there's this kind of interesting feedback loop of, like people that have been long, around longer who are more serious end up getting more alpha or more like detailed information about new things. And it's purely a function of time, right? Like if you're only like investing $1,000 in crypto, why the fuck would you spend like 10 hours here figuring some, whatever out um, unless you just in, and enjoy it? Like I enjoy space like this. I have fun talking about this stuff. It's just cool. But like I'm not sitting there like with $1,000 worth of investment. It would make no sense to you know, like it just makes no sense at all to talk about crypto as much as I do, unless I was like really into it. Right. So I admit that I, you know, invest plenty in crypto and, um, I find it super interesting and, um, and I think other people do. So I don't know. And then I have like, to me, I have a bit of a, I have a long-term sort of sense that I think people benefit from these technologies. I'm kind of a tech person generally. I think it's, um, I just like the, what's the right term? I, I just kind of like the, uh, not shilling it, but like, yeah, the educating about it. I, I think it's, it's fun. Um, and, uh, you know, so I just have fun talking about it. So like, it doesn't necessarily matter that, uh, the price of token go up today. I mean, like legitimately, how many people am I talking to? Like what a dozen people in here or whatever. I mean, the reality is like, only one of those people is going to buy some coin that I talk about or something. It's not like everyone's buying everything. Like people run out of money. I'm couple of that, man. So yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> What's that? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that I'm an example of that person. Oh, yeah. I buy something. <laughs> no, that's fine. Like I do too. Like there's there's some some people that talk about stuff on Twitter. And I'm like, eh, I'll buy some because they think they usually know what they're talking about. Um, that's fine. You just have to figure out who those are going to be for you. And just assume that just because someone talks about something doesn't mean it's going to go up or it could go to zero. As long as you're comfortable with that, it's fine. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, it's, you know, I think it's like a, I'd rather have a free world where people can say whatever they want to say. And you can discern how much money you want to spend on something. But, yeah, a lot of people just go in going nuts. You know, they're like, oh, they take their whole life savings and they throw it at some coin or whatever. That can be sometimes a bad thing. <laughs> depending on the coin, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think there's also like, that's why I try to talk about like, what are my conviction things? What are the things I think are a little bit lower risk in terms of downside? What do I think are maybe undervalued? Why do I think that? And then you can de debate whether you agree with me or not. 
and um, that kind of thing. So like you'll notice a lot of times I'll be talking about some coin and like you'll hear very little dissent. Like there won't be a lot of people up here going, nah, Chainlink looks stupid. You know, it looks overvalued. Like very few people will provide the opposing opinion. I try to provide a little bit of that, but like the thing is, part of why I'm talking about a specific coin is because I've already felt like the negatives are relatively low, right? So that's why I'm that's why I'm picking that one to talk about. So some presumption is is that like, hey, maybe he researched this one and for some reason, you know, there's limited FUD or something. That's why there's not much to talk about. But if you tell me, if you most of the coins I own, if you say to me like, what are the negatives of that coin? I could I could rattle them off one by one. Like, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Um, and like some people hear that and some people don't like some spaces I'll talk about more negatives about something. And some, sometimes I don't, and people assume that like, you know, they, you only heard the space I gave today and not one a week ago or some shit. And then like where I told all the negatives. Right. And then they'll, Oh, he's just shilling the positives or whatever. Like this is the problem too, is like you get a cross section of people's view, unless you're literally here for a freaking seminar about each coin or something, you know, like so that's the other problem, Muhammad, is that like, it's very difficult to get a comprehensive understanding. And when you say do your own research, like what are people even talking about? Like going to the website or what exactly? So I think it's interesting. Like, I think fundamentals are interesting. I think technical analysis is interesting. I think, um, you know, I think price action talk is important because like, then you can get a feel for like, what's a good, maybe considerable, you know, place for entry points for buying things. Um, a lot of people like newbies, what they do is they don't have any clue. They literally, a friend says, oh, you should buy, consider buying something. And um, they're like, yeah, sure. And they just go on, <laughs> go online, go to Coinbase or whatever and just buy it. Like it has no relationship to, is it a good price right now? Like, has it done a pullback? Has it like, you know, is it, is its market cap sensible? People don't even know what the right questions are in the beginning. And that's usually why like these coins pump a lot later in the cycle. Because when newbies show up, they just ape into everything. They don't really look at price. They figure they, you know, their friends said that they made a 10x on something. They're going to buy it and they're going to make a 10x too. So they just show up and just buy it. Like they don't care. And that's why these things pump to like crazy levels and have what's called blow off tops at the top. Because like literally like the last group of people that show up are the people that have no idea what they're doing. And they just pump the hell out of it. <laughs> so and we're, I don't think we're anywhere near that yet for crypto right now. So. Um, it's a lot easier to talk about stuff without wrecking people. I'm in my opinion, but, um, but like there's some of these coins I'm like literally buying the top of like, um, I picked up Chainlink today, for example, at 15 bucks. And I picked it up, I think yesterday at 14. Why did I do that? It's just cause I was just rebalancing some things that I had. And I'm like, I think it has a better chance of being, of running and had a better chance of like being successful. In fact, like, I think Chainlink has a better chance to do a 2x than almost every stock I own. Like, like, so at one level, I'm like, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be so diversified in stock. Maybe I should sell it all and go buy this, right? So like, even I get into that FOMO mode, I'm like, uh, like, this is looking like really good at this level for like continuation. And, um, and so yeah, there, there are definitely like times where I'm sort of fighting my own FOMO to some extent. And I fight it to my own detriment to some extent, too. It's like, Sometimes the right thing to do is literally to just, just bought it all at $7 chain link. And I should have just dumped all my money in it. And now it's at 15 out of two X my money. Right. But the problem is you don't know for sure it's going to do what and when. And so therefore like you diversify a little bit for this reason. But, um, 
yeah, but I, I, I kind of felt like, ah, eh, I'm like underexposed chain link. I'm like, this thing can do a, a 3X from here pretty easy. What do I have that may be harder to do a 3X or might take a longer time? And I'm like, uh, let's take that and dump some of that into here. And that's precisely what I've been doing a little bit of, even though I'm buying the the local top, right? Like I, I was buying originally at seven, but here I am buying at 14, 15. So, cause I felt like I didn't have enough. So like even those of us that bought the bottom, like feel FOMO as it goes up for sure. The fear of missing out. Um, and you know, you know, you, and then you feel like, okay, well, I'd ri- like to ride that upward move, even if I sold some of it. So you just have to have a thesis in your head of how you're going to play this. Um, but same thing, like I bought Litecoin here at like 69 bucks at this level. Why? Because it's like came to a FIB level, it's getting support and it's kind of broken down below it already and then broke up and then kind of testing again. And the odds that it's going to run are pretty good. For the rest of the season i didn't put too much money into it because i don't think it has like as much potential as some other things um like chain link i think is the simpler buy compared to like litecoin but the odds that litecoin goes from 69 bucks back up to its prior high of about 400 dollars, or even to 250 like not even getting to prior high um which would be a like a 4x from here is pretty good so i'm like you know you know, is like some stock that I own going to do a four X from here? Probably not. And so like, <laughs> there are some like opportunity costs I've been weighing here as far as like what I want to, uh, what I want to hold or add to and stuff like that. Anyway, Muhammad, does that, these, these things make sense to you? How I'm thinking, uh, learn how people are thinking, not what they're buying. Like this. Yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. But this is the thing I want. I want to hear from other spaces too, man. Newbies are there, so you, so you have to protect them. Like at least give them some knowledge, man. Like so they can they can do a search. They can like find things, you know. Well, remember, anyone so that, can open a Twitter space. No. So there's no guarantee who you're going to reach there, right? I could be a complete idiot about everything and just open up a Twitter space and just start talking. So like, it's. Uh, and by the way, just because I'm smart doesn't mean you're not going to lose all your money either. That's another problem. So another distraction you can get into is because you think someone's smart, you put too much money into something. And therefore what happens is, is like your confidence goes up because you're like, hey, that guy sounds pretty smart. And now you bought too much of a thing and the, the value of the thing goes down. And now you're like, oh shit, he's an idiot. He didn't know what he was talking about. Like, you know, like he bought Chainlink at 15. It went back to seven again. He must be a moron. So therefore like, you know, so then you wind up with like um, internal confusion you almost have to develop your own conviction in this space, whether it's your, no matter how smart the person you're talking about is. And the reason is because when the price goes down, you're going to freak out, right? Like if you buy $15 chain link, I'm just giving you an example, and it goes down to seven, you know, and like I could have $100,000 of chain link. It could go down to 50K and I'm not even like worried at all, right? Like I'm not losing any sleep. I sleep that night the exact same way I slept if the thing was worth 150K, right? Like that's how I can sort of handle that. But at the same time, you may not be able to, right? Like you may put in a ton of money into something and you're like, oh shit. And what you're going to be is you're going to question yourself. You're going to question God. You're going to question the person that talked about the coin to you. You're going to, you're going to question the project. You're like, what, what are these idiots at Chainlink doing? You're, you're like, that's what the new person ends up doing. And there's nothing you can do to train a new person not to do this. It's a mental, it's almost like a meditation you have to do. Um, it's almost like, I don't know if you've, have, you've done CPR, Muhammad. 
have you done you you're, you're a physician i take it no like uh I'm, i basically uh, did a phd so yeah oh, I know you're that, a phd so. so imagine doing cpr yeah. though like i do cpr for a living if i've never done cpr before am i going to be nervous am i is my heart going to be pounding Am I going to be worried this person's going to die? Am I going to be worried they're making a mistake? Sure. There is no amount of CPR training you can do with a human being that will prepare them 100% for the real thing. And this is true in crypto trading too. If you haven't lost money, if you haven't had your money go down in value, then you don't know shit basically like because you haven't felt it viscerally. And if those money monetary amounts are small, like $100 here and there, eh, whatever, you don't care. Like if you go to the a restaurant, for example, and you pay $50 for um, a family meal or something, and that meal doesn't come out that great, you're like, whatever, right? $50 down the drain, whatever, right? You don't think of it too much past that night. You might be upset that you, you know, you wasted 50 bucks, but that's the end of it. Maybe you learned a lesson about, you know, ordering at a restaurant or something. But in crypto, like, or in finance, if you haven't had your portfolio go down by a lot, you haven't learned anything yet. And it's the same thing in gambling. If you walk into a casino, and you walk in with a hundred dollars and you walk out with a million dollars because you won the fucking like, you know, the 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 slot machine casino thing and you won the lottery. Right. You're going to feel like you're just a genius, genius gambler and you're going to want to go back. You're going to like, oh, if I can win the first time. Right. So it's very addicting when you win the first time. So the same thing with crypto. Like if you happen to be here a newbie and you bought today in the bear market, um, you're going to think you're a genius. Like, you know, a few months from now, six months from now, whatever. And the price goes up and you're going to be like, oh my God, I'm a genius. I'm a genius. I'm a genius. And then like, you know, but the thing is like, you're such a genius. You don't realize when to sell. Um, you don't realize when to, uh, when the market's going to take a downturn. And so you end up holding and, uh, or you end up adding a bunch of shit and buying a bunch of garbage, like NFTs or whatever at the top of the market. <laughs> like that's what will happen to you. So, the, so yeah, there's, there's a certain thing about newbies here is that like, it's like playing soccer or doing CPR. Like if you haven't played the game, guess what? You're going to get wrecked a few times and that's just normal. So I feel like I don't really think there's anything that we have to feel compassion for people that lose money in, in markets. That's part of the lesson. And the rest of us have had that lesson. I mean, I've lost, you know, lots and lots of money um, in things that have gone to zero, but I've lost lots of money in like just watching a portfolio go down. Like, oh, my portfolio is worth x millions and now it's worth only like you know half of x million or whatever like so like you can see that happen um and do i blame anybody for that like you know you know no because like i know that companies you know do things and sometimes it goes wrong and i know that like there was a risk involved with buying that thing and i know that like oh capital markets sometimes the markets pump and sometimes they dump whatever and i just i just know all that right whereas like when you don't understand these things what happens is you assume that the uh um one of the biggest things is people feel guilty. Like they, they feel like it's their mistake. They're just a dumb person. And it's very depressing to see your money go down in value psychologically, right? Like it's not, um, you're like, why did I do that? Why did I even listen to that guy? Why did I buy the thing? Or <laughs> Why did I even like get into investing at all, right? This is the behavior people have on the way down. Um, and you can see it in the price action too. It's why you see capitulations in price and stuff where things sort of dump into oblivion. Because like um, people that bought not understanding what they're buying are not able to hold when it goes down and they sell the bottom, literally. Like somebody has to sell the bottom, right? Like the price of Chainlink went to $53 then it comes down to like 10. And then it goes from 10 all the way down to like five. <laughs> Who is selling at this stage, right? Like somebody did. Um, and so like, yeah, there's always someone doing something in the market. It's silly.
Yeah, the the fundamental ways that markets and stuff work. Yeah, man, that is insightful, and uh, thank you so much for this detailed explanation. So I, I really hope so that new new viewers are are here to learn a few things, man. Yeah. They're probably not, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> you people find their way to these type of things much later, but yeah. So I I have a uh, you know educational background, so I'm I'm into like a teaching stuff as well. So you know. So this is my my intuition, man. Like uh, I, I I can like I can teach like people as much I can. So you know I have very like a small account. So but still people are if they are like uh, asking me any question or like asking me anything. So I try my best to to explain things to them, man. And I try to tell them each and every step that I did I did wrong and I I got rugged. So. So try to do that. And, uh, yeah. I'm getting rugged. It's like, it's, it's fine to like, if people ask you a question, it's fine to say, I don't fucking know what the answer to that is. Like, I have no idea. And that's a good thing to be, have a habit of like, you know, you can speculate on something or you could say, okay, like based on a chart, okay, this looks pretty good, but I have no idea what the coin does, whatever. Make sure like, um, yeah, it's like you're, you have to be clear about like, uh, not implying things that aren't actually true. Right. That's the trick. And if you're if you teach for a living, you know what I'm talking about. It's it's a it's a process to learn how to do that. Yeah, that's right. And uh, one thing more, Safi, I need to like uh, discuss with you. Like uh, as you as you as you say, like uh, Koji is uh, right now not on the main, you know, um, exchanges. So what you think? Like exposure is not that much. So what you think about the price going up? So which one? Which one? The Koji coin. Koji. Oh, Kajira. Yeah. Well, like. Um... Yeah, it's quite possible that a lot of the people that bought Kujira bought it because they knew the coin because it was on Terra. And it's probably a lot of Cosmos natives that bought it. And like the market cap as it stands may be like saturated as far as like people that know the project. And maybe a lot more newbies have to come up to buy it later. But during a bull market, a lot of capital flows in, man. Like you'll have people that own Adam and it'll go up like three X or five X or 10 X or whatever. And then they'll say, Ooh, maybe I can rotate this into Kuji or whatever. Um, so there's a, there's a kind of a rising tide lifts all boats effect to these prices. And also like, as the price goes up, a lot of people show up to add more money to it. So like if it breaks $5, for example, all of a sudden a ton of people in the market will say, Oh, look, it's going up and they'll go buy it. So yeah, never underestimate how much capital can flow into these things. Like, forget everything you know and what you think of why prices go up. They're almost all irrelevant in a bull market. Like, everything goes up. And um, if this is a full-on bull market, again, it may not be. But if it is, like, everything, literally every junk coin you can imagine goes up in value. Like, almost everything. So these concerns, like, that you worry about, like, okay, how many exchanges are on all this stuff? They don't actually matter as much as you think. Um, they just don't like, I don't know what to tell you. People somehow find their way to DeFi and pump these coins to ridiculous levels that like, you'd be shocked. Right. Like, um, anyway. Yeah, that was so true about, uh, you know, uh, people can buy anything, man. So I, this is so true about FTT, you know? So after FTX, people are still buying that shit, man. I don't know why. Yeah, exactly. Not only that, but look at like, um, let me just look at Kuji so far as an example. Like it went from, um, you know, it was down at like 30 cents or something. And now it's at $3.87. Like we're talking about in the course of what, one year. 
um, or, you know, it went from like 50 cents in October to um, like $5.50 now. So it's done phenomenally well. There's nothing wrong with it at all. I mean, it's this is a normal chart. Like th it takes three to six months to consolidate after an impulse move. And then you can get a nice new level at some point in the future. But here's the thing, like once something is pumped like this, who's going to go buy it immediately? Like, in, like who's going to go buy a gigantic amount of it right after it's pumped? Not very many people. Why? Because it could dump, right? That's why. So people are looking for stability. And once they see that like it's had a pullback, it's people have, it's price tested lower levels. Like it went all the way down to 250. It went all the way down to 370. And when those lower levels get tested, people are like, okay, it looks like it's forming a floor. And then you'll see more people throwing money at something. So it's not reasonable for on Kujira to expect it to pump immediately. I mean, I think it'd be fun if it does, like, don't get me wrong. But the thing is, if it pumps too quickly, you have another problem is that when the, when the dump happens, it will fall through all of these support levels because there's no real support. So are you better off if like Kujira stays at this price for maybe a few more months? gets a whole lot more buyers at this level and then runs to the next level? Probably. If you're a long-term investor, yes. If you just want to buy, you want it now because you want to get rich immediately, that's different. You're just going to be sitting impatient going, wait, why isn't it moving today? Why isn't it moving today? That's the mindset you'll have. So um, anyway, but the entire altcoin space, we're talking about total three, which is the entire non-Ethereum, non-Bitcoin space, all has almost the exact same chart. Everything pumped a little bit at different amounts and everything has pulled back a little bit to different degrees and every chart looks very similar. Um, and so these things move in aggregate together. Um, they're very correlated assets. And, um, in this case, like everything looks ready to, I think like given about a month or so, I think everything will start pumping like all at one time. So it won't be like, Oh, look, Kuji's going up. It's, you know, why is it going up? It's not listed on a lot of exchanges. Why is it, you know, this other thing going up that's, you know, you know, like Litecoin is listed on tons of exchanges, by the way. And it is currently performed worse than everything else. Right. So like, how can you explain that if the, so it's a mixture of things. It's like uh, availability, accessibility, uh, liquidity depth, as far as like things that pump more usually are stuff that have less like liquidity. So the price, like, you know, price shoots up much more, but when people start to sell, it dumps much more too. So that's the other thing. So only a few people can actually realize those gains. So each coin like will have its own little thing depending on the, the market cap, how new it is. Um, I think the biggest things to watch for is the market cap of a coin. The supply of the coin that's actually circulating has some effect compared to that like that's not circulating. And then the third thing would be, um, um, what was I going to say? Um, oh, has the coin been around from the previous cycle or is it brand new? Things that are brand new are likely to go up much faster than things that were here from previous cycles, just because there's a lot of resistance from previous buyers that bought high who want to sell on you now, right? Like if, if I bought Chainlink at $40 and I'm like, shit, I've been holding this coin for three years now. Um, what happens when Chainlink goes back to $40? Some of those people are going to sell, right? So that's why you see more resistance to upward movement on older coins. And then when you go past previous highs, then you get like this pump because there's no resistance or, you know, there's no resistance because there's no more bag holders. Everybody that owns the coins in the green. And at that point, you're in what's called price discovery. It's a little bit different thing. But until you pass that, you're going to have some resistance and stuff, right? So, so yeah, you have to categorize your coins into these different 
things. Do you have some stuff that's old? Do you have some stuff that's um, brand new? And kind of like they're going to have different expectations for price action. It's not like every coin is going to do the exact same thing. It's just not the case. So like, yeah, le learning that stuff early on is really important. I, I have an opinion about the new coins because I don't have the trust on the new coins, man. So it's really hard to believe or to trust a new coin. So what you say about that? So how it's we can simple. Higher risk, higher reward. That's simple. <laughs> yeah. So if you want 100x, you have to assume your money will go to zero. I, I want you to like memorize that. Um, if like if you put $1,000 in something, it goes to $100,000, then you took the high risk very early on. You got the ch coin really cheap. You, had a, you bought it at a time where it could go to zero. I mean, maybe there's a rug pull or something. And you took the risk and therefore you got the reward. It's the same thing if you buy Apple stock at the very, you know, when, you know, when uh, Steve Jobs got kicked out or something like, you know, like, so you took the risk at that point and then you assumed that Apple was going to be great and you got the reward for holding since then, right? Simple as that. Same thing here. Higher risk, higher reward, um, lower market caps are usually newer things. Same story. So you have to do your due diligence. But what most people do is they just put smaller amounts in. in uh, so like I can put a giant amount in Chainlink, for example, because it's been around a long time and it's fairly liquid, has high market depth, and there's not a reason for it to go to zero. Not really. So therefore, like um, I can put more into that. On the other hand, if it's like a brand new proof of work coin that showed up last week, like maybe no one's going to care about that coin. So maybe I'm only going to put a thousand dollars into that because like if it goes to zero, fine. I lost my thousand. It's like a gamble, right? You go to the poker table at Las Vegas and it go, you know, you win, you win. So that's the simple way to look at it, man. It's allocation, 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 go smaller on things that have a very high risk, high gain potential, because you'll feel pretty good if you put a thousand in something that goes to a hundred thousand, right? It's fine. But you're going to feel upset that you didn't put it more, right? Like that's what always will happen. You're like, oh my God, if only I had put $10,000 into that same coin and at hundred X, I could have retired, right? That's how people think, um, after the fact. And, um, that gets dangerous very quickly. You become a gambler fast. So it just depends. Like, yeah, you have to decide your conviction. How much are you allowed to lose? Um, at what level is your wife going to divorce you? That kind of stuff, that kind of shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's simple, man. Like, that's that's what it is, right? Like, <laughs> like, yeah. When do you consider yourself an absolute gambler, and when do you consider yourself an investor or a trader? And uh, that's going to be up to you to decide. Because I don't know how much money you make, right? Like, it depends on uh, your personal finances or whatever. It's it's uh, just be sure you don't become like a degenerate gambler around here. That's a good. Um, it is a dangerous thing too. Like, um, who becomes a gambler and who doesn't? Um, who can like that's a mostly genetically mediated like people don't walk into a casino the first time they say "Ooh, i want to become a degenerate gambler when i grow up no they just they just get sucked into it so it's like specific people's brains become gambling uh, types addiction addictive behavior is clearly genetic it's like almost 80 percent genetic right like based on the data we know so like if you have like a family that has an addictive mentality um to things like gambling or drugs or alcohol you should probably be very careful about playing in crypto why because like the the velocity of money in crypto is by definition highly addictive because if you buy something in it three x's you're like oh my god i put 10k in last month and now it's worth a you know 30k or 100k you know it's 
it's extremely euphoric, right? Like to see your money do that, especially because you know how much work it took for you to make that 10K. So you're like, holy shit, it's like, I was able to make, you know, like 10 months of work in one month or whatever. Um, it, it just gets addictive very quickly. Be super careful. So yeah, it's like, uh, um, yeah. So like when people come to these spaces, there's people that literally have like gambling addiction problems too, that'll listen to something you say and buy crazy amounts of shit. So like, I don't know what to do about that. Like not talk. I mean, you're like, we could have nothing, but I don't know. So it's like, <laughs> um, yeah, like Chugga here. He's a degenerate gambler, for example. Right? Yeah, Chug- no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I put 60 bucks into a coin. You said that's fuck all. And you know, it's fuck yes, all. Go ahead. <laughs> I do have, I do have a, like a, a quick one though, like just a uh, yeah. speculation between you and me. Where do you think the actual crypto market cap is going to be if this is a bull run? Like, obviously, it was three trillion when Luna crashed. Well, it was about three trillion, wasn't it? There might be something wrong with my. So yeah, just you. You might have a drop and come back. If you change networks, you'll lose some of the listeners. You won't be able to hear. Oh, I can listen. You okay? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, Chugs, uh, you're saying how big is the market cap going to get? I have no idea, man. Like, no, no, just like rough speculation with everything going on with the ETFs and like say. I, Best case scenario and mid case so there's, scenario. There's what I hope for and the like what might actually happen. Like what would I hope for? I would hope No no no. We don't we don't care what you hope for, Safi. Yeah, you, I would hope for like getting to one fifty K Bitcoin finally. Like where we hit the first Fib extension past all time high, which would be like seventy K. Mm. And we get to about one fifty. That would be like a good target that tells me that the market is healthy that the number of people interested in buying BTC or other crypto is healthy and that the world's economies overall have enough like spare change laying around to pump the crypto market. Right. Um, Now bear in mind, like this, like, you know, several trillion market caps are basically, you're talking about the size of the market is essentially um, like uh, it, so in the altcoin space in particular, so if you take total three and you'd completely separate that from the Bitcoin Ethereum space, um, it only takes like 10% of actual money to pump the market like 10x. So for example, you could have like a billion dollars of new money come into the market and that will make the market cap go up to 10, by 10 billion. Does that make sense? So it doesn't actually take as much money as you think in a lot of these things because a lot of this is illiquid bullshit money, right? It's not like real, the market caps yeah. are not real. Like they're not, like there's not exit liquidity for all of those people, right? So they're not like, so you know that these retrace like 95%. Why? Because there's only like one twentieth the available liquidity for exiting than there is to actually pump the price of the coin, right? This is why you could argue that in crypto, the right choice might be to just three X your money and leave every season. Like that's it. Like that's it. Like you just three X your money and leave. Cause you know, for sure there's that exit liquidity for that. And if you made a three X every four years, you'd be bloody rich, like in no time. Right. Like that's well, yeah, the thing. If you put enough in. Yeah, sure. Well, not even enough in, just look at the, look at the multiplier effect of doing that every four years. Right. It's really strong. Not only that, but in a bear market, off of the bottoms, things pump 2x too. So you could do that as well. So if you exit early enough, you can do all sorts of things with your money that you can't if you try to like get the exact top and shit. So the reality is like most of the time, the mistakes we make are 
not not like exiting early enough and wanting to ride into the giga you know you know oh look they that guy made you know a, a billion dollars on his dogecoin or whatever like you get into yeah. that you start comparing with people and stuff and that's what gets people in trouble but like in like yeah like how high can these things go i don't know question is how high is good enough for you like is the market good enough to get back to its prior market cap i think absolutely yeah without question why is that because btc is already like two-thirds of the way there for starters yeah and beyond that the stock markets and everything are doing fine beyond that there's a bunch of cash on the sidelines with nowhere to go um and in addition to that like we haven't even gotten to the fomo phase of the market yet so like a lot of the stuff I have is not in the, it's not in BTC and ETH as far as my trading bags, right? So mm. at this point, like the stuff I care about is in the total three. Total three is like, it moons just by sneezing at it, right? Like, you, like, how, like how much does it have to, you don't have to have a lot of new money coming in for most of the stuff I have to 10X. So therefore, like, if I pick rational targets and maybe say, hey, maybe I'll exit at a 5X, maybe I don't even, maybe not even wait for the 10X, just get out. That may be a reasonable thing to do. I don't know. Right? Yeah, like, depends on how comfortable yeah. you want to be with your money. Because this way, you don't have to worry about where the top top is, right? Like, all you have to know is, what's, where's a rational level you could almost surely get to? And then exit when you have a guaranteed, like, almost near guaranteed level that's, like, likely. Right? And then after that, it's like, who gives a shit? Yeah, no, I agree with that. Like, it, it's one yeah. of those. There's no point dwelling on what you could have had take what your goal was and get the fuck out. Like, yeah, some people, some people, what they'll do is they'll just sell 50%, like, or something like that. They'll sell half once they reach a certain target. So let's take a chain link example. So I picked it up at seven to $15, right? Um, let's say it gets to, it's like, like all time high again, it gets to 53 ish dollars. So I'm like, all right, I'm doing really, really good. I put tons of money into it to make it like worth it. And I now am taking out 50%. Um, and then if you get a drop, like during a bull market, let's say it drops like 40, 50% and you're like, ah, I feel good about owning Chainlink here again. And I'm like, all right, I'll go ahead and deploy that capital again. That's one option. The other option would be like, just get out permanently, go throw it in a dividend earning stock or whatever and call it a day. Um, and then take the other 50%, maybe let it run up to another FIB level and then sell another 50% of that, right? Because that amount might have just doubled because another FIB level is literally a 2x from there, right? From the top. You can basically take another 50% up. And then like if it goes up a little further, fine, ride that a little higher. But otherwise, just kind of like you got out with 75% at like maybe prior high. Because here's the thing, like the odds of getting on a chain link, for example, the prior high are extremely good. The The odds of going higher and higher than that start falling as you go up, right? So like it's just purely odds by that point. You don't need to know what the exact top's going to be. And there's no way for you to know anyway. So then you, how do you mitigate your risk when knowing that you can't know? And some people just exit certain amounts of money on the way up. That's their, their strategy. To be fair, that's very one of my XRP. Uh, so I've got different targets for my, my bags of XRP. When it hits them, I'll start cashing out bit by bit by bit by bit. And I only need to hit the first target to make all my money back anyway. So the rest would just be like, eh, if it goes to zero, fuck it. If it doesn't, well, I've made my money back. So, you know, nice and easy. Yeah, like, I think, um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, um, some of these older coins have not done as well. Um, Litecoin, XRP, 
Doge, a lot of the things that ran previously only barely moved compared to its total three. So if you, the way you can tell how your coin is moving is just take XRP USDT, divide it by total three on TradingView, and it'll show you like what the relative performance is. So like, um, so relative to the market, I would say XRP is like at this moment is a good example is kind of like has not run very much. It's not like it's not really pumped yet in a sense. On the other hand, it's relative weakness in terms of performance along with Doge, uh, Litecoin, uh, XRP and whatever. The relative weakness so far could portend further relative weakness going forward. So that's the other thing you have to kind of bear in mind. Um, that um, So yeah, I, I think like the stuff I've seen that has relative weakness, I've picked, what I like about Chainlink in particular here is that it has not performed weak, but it also has not gigapumped either. So it's right in that middle ground where I feel like it's a sweet spot for me, which is why I kind of put an outsized amount in it with the, you know, like a fairly good expectation of 3x from here uh, and then go beyond that. So uh, that's kind of my thesis there. But yeah, um, I would position XRP in the exact same basket of Litecoin and Doge as having so far underperformed the total three. Um, Total three is like the altcoin market cap um, average or whatever, right? So that's that's a good way to sort of like, so far we have enough price action where we can actually measure that relative performance and that can be useful. Anyway, but again, it depends. Like if, if, it's, if it's minor amounts of money, you're not worried either way. Just throw a little bit here and there at things and just ride, ride. you know, there's nothing special. <laughs> like these things, yeah, most things, most things will pump some in the bull market. Um, and even my stuff, like some stuff has barely done anything. Like Adam has done relatively little versus like some other shit that's out there for sure. So like what, what happened with Atom 2.0? Because there was a big hoo-ha about that. And did it just get like told no? No, it end? got it got voted down as far as like what they were trying to do. Mm. Uh, but it's okay. Like a lot of the same stuff is being implemented anyway. It's just um, it's just done piece by piece. It's fine. There's nothing. There's nothing really wrong with Adam. I'm just pointing out, like, regardless of what it does or doesn't do, its relative price performance yeah. has not been as good as some things. Um, like Chainlink at the bottom was at like 470, for example, and now it's at 15. Adam at the bottom was like also around that same level, five dollars fifty cents, and the highest it went was twelve dollars. You see how it's like slightly different relative price performance. Um, in that now adam gives you a yield too so they have to include that in the profit loss sort of statement so to speak but uh, so they're a little bit different they're not apples to apples but um you get the idea so some things have like just moved more than others um like let's look at like xrp as a a relative concept here and that's not to say by the way that they couldn't move a lot more later like this is not what i'm saying at all um it's just like what's happened so far is the only thing you can really look at right oh yeah no 100 percent agree and it doesn't help that the SEC just can't back the fuck off. <laughs> they just the need SEC. to back off. So XRP was like 30 cents at the bottom. This is assuming yep. you got bought the exact bottom, which most people didn't, by the way. And it peaked at about uh, 92 cents. So it, it kind of went about 3x, but then it pulled back down. Yeah, it's because the again, to, now it's, about a, it's about a 2x off the very bottom. Yeah, it's it's only because Gensler decided he wanted to still fight after the fucking Judge Torres ruling. 
and I'm sitting there going, why is he still fighting? Just back up. You've lost everything. Just just go away. <laughs> Do you think? It would have saved him so much embarrassment. It's It's been cited well, in Congress. No matter what it, it is, remember, that pump to nine, 90 cents or whatever was just an, an instantaneous pump over the summer. It went straight yeah. down, by the way. It was straight up, straight down. That wasn't really oh, like, that, real. I was watching it. <laughs> that was just people on leverage just pumping the token and just dumping it. That wasn't anything. That was yeah. not like a bunch of new buyers like going, oh, yeah, I'm, like, I'm in. Um, so, yeah, there's been a steady uptrend, but you're about a 2x from the bottom, um, which like from the bottom of this last bear market. And that puts it very similar to, say, for example, where Chainlink is now, right? Like it's, yeah. a different, it's not that different is what I'm pointing out, like in terms of price action. But it what, it didn't pull like an injective, for example, which you know it, it already broke all time high. So yeah, well, it didn't pull. So there's definitely coins that kind of completely destroyed um, some of the like they've been outperforming in the in the altcoin space. What what is injective's price right now? I just want to know if I've seen it correctly. It's like in the hundreds, right? Forty one now. Oh, 41. Okay, so now yeah, I'm not last year's last time's all time high was twenty five. Okay, fair and, enough. So it broke out of all-time high, and it's been kind of in price discovery running up this season. Nice. Uh, so it's like it's seasonal price discovery. Um, so yeah, like mm, things that made it like almost like to the last fib before all-time high. Um, Fetch has already surpassed it, so it's like the next level is just all-time high. There's no more fibs left. Or yeah. like um, what else did really well? Um, Solana is hit its last fib before all-time high, so it definitely beat everything else it beat ethereum it beat xrp and all the others so like yeah if you look at the so all you have to do is like compare how far it went from the bottom in relative price the bottom of solana was eight dollars it's now it um it got up to 122 that just gives you an idea how much better it did than Mm. than a lot of other shit right like it did a lot better it's it's so there's such a dodgy coin right now (laughs) it's you just don't know what's going to happen with it. Like, it, is it going to just drop to stupid levels low, or is it is it going to sustain I don't itself? Think so. I think it'll go back to all time high. Like, I bought it at one hundred three. It's now at ninety eight. Um, if it pulls back, like to like a fib level lower, like sixty nine or even to forty five, I think it'll be fine. But the odds of it going to all time higher high, all time higher, very good. Why? Because like it's just a hype machine. Like, yeah, never fade the hype. Any community that can do big hype is going to get big token price appreciation. End of story, right? Like it's just pure meme effect. Well, look at autism. Like 95%, 95% of all price action is narrative, not utility. So it doesn't matter what fuck all what your coin does or doesn't do. 95% of the price action is meme. Something like 95%. Like that's I, the reality. I, I'd the say... More shiller, the more shillers you have and the more people that talk about their coin and love it for some reason, the higher it goes. I, I'd agree with you to a point. I don't think it's that high. I think it's also it's availability. No, it's, it's availability as well. Like I'm telling you, it's that high. But if no one knows how to get to Bitcoin it. For, for since its inception, right? So it's like, it's that high. No, no, no. I get that. But with things like, say, autism, as an example, mm-hmm. it's got a great shilling community. Look at everyone always quoting, requoting coach. But because it's such a bitch to get, it does add an obstacle. You'd have oh, to know. No. Like, I, I would say, like a few Twitter accounts. That's not a big chilling community. I'm talking about like gigantic YouTube presence, gigantic oh, okay, like yeah. hundreds of large channels, people with like 500,000 followers, and all this stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, we, we talk about something small, like an, a, a custom-made autism meme coin that we're having fun with. That's not anywhere near what I'm talking about. Yeah, like, like some of these, like 
Injective has like had like it's like a crazy show cartel, pretty much. Mm. Like there was like uh, I think like I don't know if they're paying people or what, but some of these groups that you, you if you look at their discords and stuff, they're completely rabid. Um, they're hardcore, like seriously, like they just go crazy, you know, <laughs> like, like, so that makes a difference. Whereas something like Litecoin, how many people do you see posting about Litecoin? Almost zero. How yeah, many people do you see posting about Atom? Almost zero. How many people do you see posting about, I don't know, name it. Like how many people are talking about Luna right now? Almost zero. Um, like, I mean, near zero, right. Compared to like what it, what it was during the height yeah, of last yeah. bull market. So like the relative performance of the, the shill cartel for that coin does matter. It just does. And here's the thing, like you could get um, a group to buy into a coin with a small group of influencers, right? Like let's say a dozen influencers talk about a coin like Zephyr, it goes up for the first time. It pulls back. Are, is that influencer community going to grow by 10x to, to like pump the coin another 10x? Is it going to like, is 10x more capital going to come in the next time to bring the liquidity in? That always is a mystery, right? You don't know for sure. Yeah. You don't know because a lot of these coins when you see them like suddenly pump you're like what the hell just happened some of them is just they pump because the whole market pumps and that's just part of the like liquidity flowing in everyone's just buying shit right randomly like throwing darts at a dartboard and then other times you'll see like people will um like other times you'll see that like uh some youtube videos came out like or coindesk did something on somebody or whatever right and then all of a sudden the coin price pumps a bunch at one time um alex becker talked about it or something you see immediately after that a, a you know coin pump so sometimes it's like a clear-cut event but sustaining a shill cartel that continues to enjoy that chain and talk about it for like a couple years and straight during a whole bull market um that's the trick right that's the hard part to get to i would say mm -hmm. like um and same thing is true for xrp and Chainlink, right these are like utility plays how many people understand what these things do? Almost nobody. How easy it is to form a narrative now when you have all these other like shiny new objects, right? Because there's also the diversion, like the the distribution of attention is getting harder to focus people. Um, and so like fragmented liquidity, even if the crypto markets, the you know, total market cap rises to double what it is now, there's no guarantee that that's going to outwardly affect your coin versus other people's coins, right? See the yeah. problem? So like if like the chain link community slash company slash whatever posts a lot of shit, well, they're going to get more of that capital of that new billions of dollars coming in. If they don't, you know, God help them. They, it just won't go up as much. <laughs> like it's that simple. Like, I don't yeah. know. So it's hugely an advertising based thing. And the, the use of like web two tools, meaning YouTube and whatever, using those effectively to spread the word about a specific coin is critical um some some groups actually pay um people to talk about their coin right like i think uh, and i don't know who, which projects do that more than others but like some of them do like i remember well, like um I think optimism yeah optimism got in like some a little bit of twitter jail because they had paid i think bankless or something to do an event like on their thing and so bankless basically is kind of like part of their show is you know, they make money by kind of like, you know, paid shilling. Like you, like you, you sponsor them, just, to, you know, talk about XRP and you pay them 50 grand and they'll do a show on it. Yeah. Um, and some people are like, oh, that's a bad thing. I'm like, no, that's fine. Like, who, like as long as they're disclosing it, no, as long as they're disclosing it, like, you know, it's fine for people to get paid for advertising. Welcome to, you know, 
you know, welcome to the world of paid advertising. So what, you know, it doesn't, it may not be what like a crypto diehard likes, but I'm fine with it. I don't have a problem. I, in fact, like many cosmos changes stuff, don't do enough of that shit. Like that's why nobody knows about them. Mm. Probably true. It's like, it's like citizens Dawn shilling mm-hmm. very virtuously for autism and never, never, ever having been awarded autism. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If that's not how it works, and you're speaking about yourself in third person, you, you need to embrace that's yourself. That's the thing. He does that. I, I know it, it's quite irritating, isn't it? It's like you're going. <laughs> Ch- Chugger went to the gym today. No, no, I went to the gym today. It's <laughs> the Chugga, that's because you don't understand what it's like. I, I, to be I don't a think royal. anyone. This is I the royal think... we. I don't mm. think anyone understands where you're coming from, buddy. So you you take your anti-site <laughs> meds. You enjoy. <laughs> you well, listen, Citizens Don is gambling hard right now. He's racing home to fix up his Zephyr mining machine. He's dropped Ooh. thousands of dollars into a, a, a bill. Nice. That's, he's going to mortgage, mortgage the house. He'll at least have a computer at the end of the day. Most of us will be broke. Safi, what yeah. is your hash rate, and how much did you spend on your uh, your rigs for uh, mining um, Zeph? I've got a seventy nine hundred and a seventy nine fifty um, AMD Ryzen. Those okay. two put together was like I think maybe one was nine hundred dollars, and the other one was maybe like seven hundred or okay. So about one one point four minimum on the CPUs. All right, for two separate computers, and that got me to thirty four hundred hash rate, I think. And what does that pull in uh, a week? I mean, at 34,000. I'm sorry, 34,000. Um, I'm getting, I think, like, at this level of difficulty, I believe it's like one Zephyr per week. One Zephyr per week. So that, yeah, if it but, must my, go. but the reason I, I'm spec mining this is more for, like, uh, you know, like a multi-year project where, in theory, Zephyr's, like, more like a thousand dollars a coin yeah like, no, that's, yeah. that's what so, i'm looking into as well so when i'm calculating it i'm like you know okay like if if we're at sustained values of a hundred dollars effort then um it'll be easily worth it right that's the idea because like six effort that i've mined so far would be worth 600 um in theory and that's just for the month so the idea would be like yeah like to to run it for years and mostly just huddle those coins i'm not trying to sell them immediately like I have way yeah, more yeah. spot than I have mined. The mining is just for fun, and it's kind of like to participate in the network and whatever. Um, and I figure like it's a couple of computers that'll pay for themselves. And periodically, I need a PC to work on that I don't have otherwise. Then I'll have them at home to use. But like, um, and I bought one. I bought the ones that are like good enough to last me like ten years. Yeah. Um, so that I can use them, actually use them, not if I want to, right? How many cores are on each CPU? If you don't mind me asking, I think I don't seventy nine fifty, I believe, is a thirty two core. I believe. Oh, okay, no, all right, well played. <laughs> uh, I believe the seventy nine hundred, I believe, was a sixteen core. So there's a difference. The seventy nine fifty yeah. with the AMD five motherboard is probably the sweet spot in terms of like future use of the computer, resale value of the computer, and then like the hash rate and everything. But you have to use DDR5 RAM for the 7900, like the 7900 series AMDs. So be aware of that. Like, so that's a little bit more expensive. Yeah. So that's why everything's a little bit pricier. The chip, the motherboard, the RAM, everything's pricier on that level. 
Uh, yeah, lost some of the guys, yeah, some of the guys did like 3,900 series or whatever that is. I don't remember the number. And they pay like half as much for the unit and maybe get like, I don't remember how much hash rate they're getting. Um, Up would know. He's the one that did a lot of those. But those are really much cheaper. Um, and you can have more of them. But um, but like, what's the resale value of that thing going to be in five years? I don't know. Probably not much. So whereas an, you know, a little bit more powerful thing will have a little bit more um, utility, like actual computer utility. So if I wanted to sell it, I could. Or if I just want to use it, I could, right? Yeah. Okay, no, fair enough. It's Yeah, that was the idea. Interesting. Yeah, plus, plus, I've got like a company that where I might use these computers later. So I figured like I could just on paper sell it to the company. <laughs> and then you and it's then actually, use it and then actually use them at that at the company, right? Just just Hollywood you know, it basically what we're saying. I want you to know that uh I modeled my build off off of your input. I got the seventy nine fifty X uh uh processor. I got a decent motherboard. I got like the cheapest possible graphics card. I think I got like a thirty sixty NVIDIA and you because, actually don't you know, the 39 the 7950 you don't actually need a graphics card at all it has graphics on board if you're only mining if you want to use the computer for other purposes then yes you would use a graphics card with it like just to kind of can, can we just like appreciate that he's not talking in third person anymore well done citizens all <laughs> yeah you know, it, it's a, it comes and goes Chuck. it comes and goes I, it's it okay, has you, to why'd you get the graphics possession. card I got the graphics card for a similar reason like you. I, you know, I got this. You know, potentially want to potentially want to use it. Location, you know, covering my bases, getting a cheap okay. thing going. And uh, but I did want to ask yeah, you, even without a graphics still, card, though, the seventy nine hundred series has onboard graphics. By the way, so you don't have to have a graphics card. That's the other benefit of those, is you can hook up a monitor directly, monitor directly, and you don't have to have a, like a spare graphics card just to sort of boot the thing up or whatever it's that's another b- plus side but yeah it's it's graphics card is okay the graphics on board is okay i don't you can't do anything really fancy with it but it will run windows and shit it just won't like you can't be sitting there playing heavy games or something it's a simple onboard chip so yeah you, well, an external graphics external graphics i would keep if like you intend to use the computer periodically for something else yeah, I mean, like, I, I run, like, occasionally you'll do, like, a Counter-Strike game. Like, you know, I like Counter-Strike. And I potentially wanted to be able to do that. So I got, like, you know, the, I think I paid, like, 250 bucks for the graphics card. Uh, you know, but the, everything else is beefy. And if I ever wanted to update the graphics card, I can or whatever. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, it works good. Yeah, one I have well, is 7900. And one to 7950 is what I have. What software are you using, Sefi, to, uh, like, you said you, you, you're using the software for mining Zephyr that, like, helps you work, uh, like, your two machines in tandem. Oh, yeah. Well, you can, you can, so you can do two things. You can just run Windows is one option. You can just run the XM rig software on those, and you can still run them in tandem. Or you can use what's called um, the, there's, um, oh, what's it called now? Hold on a second. It's, uh, Hive OS, H-I-V-E-O-S. And you can use up to four rigs on there for free. And it'll allow you to sort of monitor them via like an app that's on your phone. 
uh, Hive OS will automatically, like when you go onto their website, they'll give you a flash drive file and you can flash just a, like a, you need like a 20 gig, like flash drive, like a USB drive, a cheap one. And you can flash the operating system, which is a Linux operating system onto that drive. And it will have all the, you have to flash all the important parameters onto it. And, um, and then you can actually adjust the parameter files within the Hive OS app. And Up has those files. Like, or I have those files too. I can copy them for you and just paste them. It's pretty easy once, you, once you're up and running. And, um, and then basically, like, there's nothing else you have to do. So you don't even have to have a hard drive on the computer. You can just actually have just, you can run it, you can run it off a bootable USB, essentially, ultimately. So pretty, it's pretty straightforward. I, I went I went with Ubuntu Linux and uh, but yeah so I I, I think I'll well still be Hive OS to... Hive OS already has like it's a Linux thing and you wouldn't have to do anything special it's already set to do mining if you have Linux then yeah you can get the Linux like XM rig and run it on there but yeah it's, it depends on what you're trying to do um, I felt like it was easy to just have a USB bootable drive and later if I want to like use that computer as a regular computer i just pop in like a you know a, i can just pop that out and then just use the, use a native hard drive in there and just run windows or something there's a cool bit of software i found that you might be interested in um have you ever heard of something called ventoy v-e-n-t-o-y yep. yep. no what does it do it's blew my mind but you know how you can flash a usb um, with a operating system or whatever. This is another thing that you can flash USB on, except from there it boots into a thing where you can launch an operating system ISO. So, and you can install this on like okay. a hard drive, for example. So you have like you could have like multiple operating systems then. Maybe. Yeah, you can have so you can have a hard drive and you can have this flashed on there, and then you can have a bunch of like uh, drive files like Hive OS or like a secure bootable thing. Um, and then you plug it in to the computer and then it says, you know, what do you want to launch? And you say Hive OS or whatever. And you can, you know, you can put them all there. You don't have to flash them and you can reuse the same drive, um, which opens up a lot of stuff. And it has like really cool features. Like you can actually run virtual hard drives. So you can spin up a virtual machine, say on Windows using Hypervisor. Um, or some other things, then you save that virtual machine onto that hard drive, and then you can then plug it into a computer and launch that virtual machine as if you're actually like you know booting it up, uh, which opens up a lot of cool stuff. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, like just simply doing HiveOS on a USB stick was really inexpensive and worked phenomenally well. And what's what you can do is like you can. You, like if you have four miners, for example, you can just flash four sticks one after the other, pop them in, and you're good to go. And like, you only have to go and in like into your BIOS and say flash from USB stick, and you're good to go. Mm. It worked pretty nicely. Um, I didn't think we have to go to any further complexity. Even the Hive OS, you don't need to use it. Like, but it's convenient if you have less than four rig, four rigs or less, it's free. Mm. And then if you open Hive OS, it'll tell you if you're you know, what your hash rate is. You can actually adjust your parameter files directly from that. So you like, if you need to make changes to the, like the memory parameter files or whatever, but there are some interesting tweaks in there too. You have to turn off certain cores. It's interesting, like having all your cores running, Don, is not always the best thing. 
So up sort of walk me through some files. But you have the same chips I do, so you can copy my files. I can DM you. Once you have everything ready to go and you're ready to like set up your parameter files, I can just send you the like I can DM you the actual like information that needs to go in the blanks. <laughs> it's pretty easy. I would appreciate that. I think I'm thinking what I'm gonna do is leave leave the Ubuntu installed. And then uh, move to like partition part of the drive because I, I I did install a drive. And I'll partition like some space just for yeah. Hive OS on each, on each machine. Hive OS like I think it took like it's a version of Linux that uh, it runs on, so it's, it has its own Linux sort of like instance essentially. And what it does is it uh, I don't remember what the exact name of it is, but it it creates a um, like a fully bootable thing where like you can just do this off of this like $3 USB stick or whatever. Like you don't need to, like you can just set up your computer otherwise like you would normally use it. And that way when you want to play games, whatever windows, you just have a hard drive and you just do it. And then just when you want to run um, like uh, this, you can just simply stick in the stick and off you go. Unless you like Linux at baseline. If you already have Linux at baseline, that's what you're using. Then um, you can, you can just run a full GUI and everything, but then of course, like you're using some computer resources to run your operating system. Whereas with the Hive OS on a stick, you're using almost no resources to run your operating system. It's bare bones, and um, all of the hashing power goes straight to to mining. That's the that's the benefit of like that direction. So like some people will just run, for example, the Windows version of XM Rig to run the mining software. That's another way you can do it. But I went the route of just having headless units. I wasn't going to like use these computers anyway. And the Hive OS worked really smoothly, um, really, really well. So it, I don't know, it's, you don't have to use it, it's, but it's pretty cool. I'm definitely going to use it. But what you said about the hash rate and like, you know, the energy being you consume to run it makes perfect sense. Yeah, the more bare bones you are, the, the more hashing power you get that directed only for hashing right so whereas like your user interface windows or whatever that requires some of the power of the chips so yeah there's some interesting things too you can do a little bit of overclocking of your ddr5 ram and you can do a little bit of overclocking of the chip itself if you have the right motherboard um you don't want to go too far because then it just like it has overheating faults and other garbage or it has like problems of timing with the chips the, D, the the RAM chips. So like you can do a little bit of overclocking, but to keep it really, really stable and not have any issues, um, I, I didn't try to push it to the absolute limit or some shit. Um, it just creates too much nuisance. <laughs> like um, you get a little bit of extra hashing power, but at what cost? It might be like reliability or sometimes it creates invalid blocks or something if it creates timing errors with the RAM. So it, uh, yeah, I was kind of like learning that lesson as I went along. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. think I'll overclock. It doesn't make sense. You can overclock a little bit. Like if you have DDR, like you know, six thousand megahertz RAM, you could easily push it to like sixty four hundred. Uh, if you have like um, whatever the seventy nine fifty, you can overclock a little bit. You don't have like this. The BIOS you should do a little bit because why not take a little extra juice out of it? Like it's you've already paid for the thing, right? So and you've paid for like a motherboard and chip that are meant to be overclocked. So it's fine to do it. Um, you just don't have to push it too hard. Like a little bit of minuscule tweaks do the job, I would say. Um, so yeah, we can walk you through that. Like once you have everything set up and you're like, oh, how do I overclock this? We can walk you through it depending on what bios you have and stuff. Either myself or up, we've both done this a few times now. So we're pretty good at it. 
I, I don't, appreciate I'm, I'm definitely not a, I'm definitely not an expert at it, but like I know a little bit about it. Well, it makes sense. I have to say, uh, you're just from a standpoint of you know, particularly where we're at, you know, with this effort, and you know, anybody who's maybe considering more, you know, tangible investments. That I mean, investing in computer parts is pretty stable. It's like it's looking for a stable asset to uh, get. I mean, if somebody wanted to set up, put in a little, dump in a little money, you could probably. Yeah, these things aren't depreciating that bad anymore because um, you can do so much with these these higher end chips and higher end motherboards for years and years to come, right? So like they're they're going to be useful to you for a very long time. So I think like these computers are things that like power. These are processor levels that would be effectively useful for like the next I don't know ten years, easy probably. Like the you know for even if you're just mining it, it'd go for years and years most likely. So, I have a I have an Intel 6700K processor from like years ago. Things still is, you know, trucking along, no problemo. Exactly, exactly. Especially if you're doing routine stuff. Like this 7950 is a workhorse, man. It's like serious server level chip. Like there's nothing you're going to do in your personal life that's going to use this unless you're really doing like you know, some serious CPU tasks. So, yeah, these are these are fine. And th and these things have pretty good resale value too. So it's like Let's say you mine for a couple of years, like I don't want this thing anymore. You could probably sell it for like even two years from now, probably like 40% off its current value and get, so there's a lot of re value retained in the machine. They don't depreciate that fast. Other thing for taxes too, you can actually just depreciate these machines immediately um, you, on TurboTax or whatever. If you put like, I don't know, crypto trading is one of your sort of side jobs, <laughs> you know, you can, you can, uh, you can expense some of the like if you have staking rewards for example somewhere and you want to buy like um hardware to to like subtract the taxes off of that you could counter the taxes with mining hardware for example and you can depreciate anything under like $2500 you can depreciate within the first year so you don't have to do the 5 year slow depreciation so you can actually just like take the tax benefit off these um you know off the devices which is pretty pretty decent so I'll, I'll be deducting all my computers I bought from a tax perspective for sure. Yeah, definitely going to be keeping that in mind. Anyway, guys, I'm going to get going. I think I've got to go and uh, look at this. Bruce changed the name of the space and it just stayed the same the whole time. Um, I'm going to get running. i got to do some work and then uh, we'll catch up another time. You all right, buddy. Thank you. Vincent. Thank everybody else here. Box. Catch you later, guys. Motherfucker screaming out loud, looking for mercy before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works, and we'll see what other kinds of trash is under the dirt. We rape and plunder the earth, sit and wonder about the worth and plate. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served. Motherfuckers walking around here looking faceless, trying to make a living selling friendship bracelets, dead ends, dragging out the maximum amount of payments. Red down days, got them acting all bankless. Yo, fam, what? Check these token knocks. They probing this bear, flexing broken honest. I had to lay my soul down. I'm just roasting knotters, and then to end a long day, 11 bowls of chronic. Never known the politic, I was born to frolic. It's been my policy to pollinate all over the plot. We got a lot of apologists jumping in at the top. We like to measure their velocity before they hit rock bottom over impossible.
possible loss It's all moss and I'm liking the odds Fondue in the morning forming mycological bonds Click the cap though the road is highly involved Flip a coin diary fall Motherfuckers screaming out loud looking for mercy Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape and plunder the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Trying to figure out the max amount of dinner lace Stacked and non-toxic Just to get a better place Smacking on the hostage Like the shit is play for keeps Clowns, white knight, and all these Maybellines They call it implausible When model after model keeps on Ripping off the coat and going full throttle beats Tearing apart your community All these low-hanging fruits Bearing zero liquidity Got a planet in reach Coming standard to each I'm on the back ten stargazing after the siege Commanding all the management to grab a few seats And then we'll round up the beasts and send a messenger east Y'all better sign a release when I'm bumping these beats Hands up if I got motherfuckers drumming the streets Yo, we got a few dubs, we got a couple defeats And if you're coming for the king, you better have some of each Motherfuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the verbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape and plunder the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Tim Spaces <laughs>